Hey Rumpers, we're back and tonight on Unsolved Mysteries, Season 2, Episode 12, Hatbox Baby, John Brannon's Final Appeal, and also Santa's Baby. Hi, I'm your co-host, Crystal. And, I, and I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. And uh, if you're listening to us, sorry for the long absence. Um, some shit went down. Yeah, Robbie, do you want to tell our viewers slash listeners um, what's been going on? Yeah, I, um, uh, my father passed away, uh, well, let's see here, at the time of recording this, that, that would have been, uh, two, uh, more or less two weeks ago, uh, so literally, like, the day before we were gonna record the episode that would have dropped, um, last week, I, uh, I got a call that my father was in the hospital, and uh, he was not expected to live very long, so I had to book it to Kansas, um, and I did. I made it there in time to actually be able to talk with him before he passed away, so that was good. Um, and then I had to take care of you know some business, like making the arrangement for his cremation. Uh, that's actually, uh, supposed to be, those are supposed to be arriving to me in the mail any day now, um, appara- uh, through, through the United States Postal Service. Uh, apparently I have to sign for it, so that, that, that's good that they just won't, like, you know, let anyone take, uh, someone's ashes. And, uh, you know, I had to sort through this, the stuff in this apartment to find, um, any sort of uh, letters or pictures or anything of, you know, personal significance. Uh, do you remember, what was the name of the guy who lived in the YMCA a few episodes back? Um, you know, if you give me a second, I can go back through my notes. Okay, cool. Do that. Uh, just so go ahead and talk and I'll chime in when I find. All right. Yeah. Name. Well, let me just say that <laughs> my father's um, apartment was not too dissimilar in terms of manner of what stuff he had and how it was laid out. Like, he had 30 of these emptied out peanut butter jars. Really? Yeah, he had, like, cleaned out and he used to store stuff into. Like, one held paper clips, uh, you know, another had, you know, whatever, uh, safety pins... One had matches, mm-hmm. and my dad dad had like cut the strike strip off the matchbox and taped it to the container. <laughs> so um, I guess I guess he was doing that for uniformity's sake. Uh, I didn't find any duffel bags filled with uh, money or ninety nine cent breakfasts. Uh, I did find some container. Uh, some more of those jars filled with coins. So I'm going to take those down to the bank, uh, 
uh, before long to get turned into cash. Did you find any Princess Diana memorabilia? You know, I didn't come across any Princess Diana memorabilia. Um, eh, Instead, I came across um, a scattered confusion of books, either about Catholicism or cooking chili. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And, yeah, like every, like, letter that... Uh, myself or my, I don't know, stepsister. What is it when like your father or your your parent like has married someone and has stepchildren from that, uh, but you never like, you were never part of that equation. Does that? Um, I think that means you're they're nothing to you. <laughs> okay. I I don't um, know if anybody has knows what that term is. Then please. Uh... Yeah, Simon. yeah. So oh, um, oh, Howard Drummond. I just found it. Howard Drummond. Drummond. That's right. How could I forget that? And name? that was from uh, season two, episode seven. So that was yeah. going to be five episodes ago. Yeah, and let me tell you, like, just as Howard Drummond was a big impact on the lives of so many people in that community, apparently, was so was my dad. Like, I went to this oh, diner great. that he he apparently went to every day, Aww. and like. Our staff was saddened by his passing. And then when I went down to the bank to try to figure out what I was going to do with, like, his uh, checking account, like, halfway through the process of, like, you know, ha- me handing over papers and my ID and, and, and stuff, the uh, the teller, like, you know, she, uh, she asked what my name was, and I told her. And then, like, she, like, when she, you could see on her, the moment on her face when she realized that, like, my father was, was, you know, the person that, like, she apparently interacted with every day because every day he came to check on to see what the balance was for his checking account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she got so sad. And then, like, I, I showed her a picture of my dad from World War Two, mm-hmm. and, like, it started to gain, being circulated around the bank. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. So, you know, and I, I, I'm just, I, I guess I'm glad that, like, uh, my dad apparently actually had a very busy social life. Yeah. Uh, that, oh. that was, that was, that, that was something that was kind of reassuring. Oh, that's great. Um, yeah. So you were out in Kansas, correct? Mm-hmm. Correct. And wh- where in Kansas were you? Uh, it's called Pittsburgh. It's like in the southeastern corner of the state. Now, I after you told me where or where you were, mm-hmm. I went and looked uh, up Pittsburgh, Kansas, and okay, I, uh, I it's uh fairly close to Joplin, Missouri. Yeah, that is correct. Okay, so just in case anyone knows where Joplin is, um. So uh, I I got the distinct impression from the Pittsburgh Kansas Wikipedia page that you you may have found yourself in a shitty small town, Robbie. Well, let me tell you, like considering it was extremely difficult for me to find a place to make photocopies, uh, I'd say that that might may just be a correct assessment. Um, so there was no Kinkos, is what you're saying? There was no uh, Kinkos. Okay. I did. 
I did finally manage to track down a UPS store. Okay. Yeah, I, I guess you could say there was there was a bit of shitty small town aspect to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do, you, do you know what the Arby's count was in Pittsburgh? I did eat at Arby's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had the... Uh... Can you tell I, too, have visited shitty small towns throughout America? <laughs> <laughs> we we have to put together some sort of like mathematical model to quantify and describe shitty small towns mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like you know is 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 there a place where you can get have something uh photocopied yeah how many arby's how many arby's i f- i feel like it goes like this so dayton has a pizza factory but yeah. i would dayton probably population wise is a bit smaller than pittsburgh kansas yeah Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so like the tiniest town will have a pizza factory. Okay. You get, I feel like you get to a population of like fifteen thousand people or above, and they're definitely going to have an Arby's. Maybe they still have a pizza factory, but they fucking do not have. They're not going to have a Hardee's or a Carl's Jr. You know what I'm mm, saying? Maybe okay. there's a it. Maybe there's a Dairy Queen if you're like balling hard in that town. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. and then anything above that, you're going to have all your regular goods and services that's how i would think about it that's an interesting uh based on thing. based on uh franchised foods <laughs> based oh, what else would we base it off of i don't know <laughs> yeah um, um so so then you you had flown out um you'd flown out there but you took a greyhound bus back to Dayton all the way from from Kansas right yeah well yeah because um in order to get there in time to see my dad I had to book like the you know, almost immediate flight so that was extremely expensive uh and so returning I didn't have as much available as much money available for the return trip and um um Plus, the fact there there wasn't as critical need for me. Time was not as much of a critical factor, so I bought a bus ticket. And and you got to see America. It sounds like. I mean, we haven't even really talked about your trip. This is the first time we're talking since you left. Yeah. So did this I, is all new. This is going to be all new to me. It's all new to the listeners. I didn't um, even text you any pictures. Well, not I saw I... I saw what you were posting on Facebook, and I was I was oh yeah, yeah laughing my ass off because I thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I guess it was pretty miserable experience for you. I'm sorry, um, but yeah, I so what, tell you. It seems like you had a very circuitous route to get back home. Right. Well, yeah. My original plan was I booked a ticket that was going to take me from Joplin, Missouri, up to Kansas City. And then from Kansas City, I would take a bus that would go through, like, Denver, Salt Lake, and then finally arrive in Reno. Um, But what happened was the bus that I took from Joplin to Kansas City ran late. So by the time I got to Kansas City, that bus had already left. So the next bus that was leaving to arrive in Reno... um, was uh took a different different route i uh, went through the southwest united states um so this first of course meant that i then had to spend three hours backtracking along basically the same route i just come from mm. uh and god uh i'm sure you you obviously already know about this there was the most vapid 
girl sitting behind me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like the most, just like a constant stream of conversation between her and like the two dudes who obviously wanted to do her. Uh-huh. Um, Would, I believe what you said on Facebook is you thought one of them was angling for a hand job. Yeah, yeah. Like I totally got the because like his responses were the sort of polite perfunctory stuff that you would give just to you know show that you were interested mm-hmm. <laughs> um but you know and why and the only reason he he clearly would go through that effort was that on the presumption that it was going to pay off somehow um and you know this 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 woman i i, I guess a young woman she's probably like in her early 20s maybe uh like all the stuff she said was talked about was either the most banal. Uh, she she would say things like, "Sometimes I die at night, but my cat brings me back to life because he breathes his life back into me." Uh, you know, s- stuff like that, or just like absolute crude stuff. Like at one point, she was clearly watching some sort of, I don't know whether it was like hentai. Or just straight porno, but some sort of videos that were like had the sounds of body parts going into other body parts, and it was just it was it was it was a painful experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, do you mind if I read some of the more choice quotes that you you shared? Oh, go ahead. Yes. Um, I like rap, rock, and rap music. Anything really, as long as I can dance to it. <laughs> yes, there's that. Said, my mom doesn't give a fuck about anything. She will fart on someone and just walk away. And then you <laughs> said, and just like that, a big piece of the puzzle fell into place. <laughs> At least, wait, there's more. At least she stopped making seal noises and doing a Texan accent. God, yeah, I was afraid because like she started doing the seal noises and talking in the Texan accent. Uh, when we were leaving Armorlow, Texas, but you know, the, well, the the bus stop, uh, the, the layover at LA uh, in Los Angeles wasn't ent- entirely a lost cause because I definitely saw someone who, for a moment, I wondered whether they were David Bowie. Like this person looked like a homeless David Bowie. So probably not because David Bowie's <laughs> dead. Well, I I was I was going with like you know I sort of the thought occurred to me did he. Did he fake his death so that he could yeah. live as a homeless yeah, man at the Los did, Angeles? He did that one. Yeah. And then, you know, and to add to that, I also saw someone who, for a moment, I thought was the guy who played the dad from just the 10 of us. That was probably probably <laughs> him. Well, let me tell you, he's let himself go because he's at least another 150 pounds heavier. Wow. <laughs> and he... And he also looked homeless. Do you remember a while ago when I was like, a what? We I did a little whatever happened to investigation, and I looked up uh, what happened to the dad from Alf, and then I found some like recent paparazzi pictures of him like taking out the garbage from his apartment in Santa Monica. <laughs> it was the most depressing thing ever. <laughs> do you remember this? Yes, I do. <laughs> Uh, well, anyway, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you're home. I'm glad that you eventually made it back and I'm glad that you got to see your dad. So, um, thanks. 
we're 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 all happy to have you back yeah it's uh and sadly enough it's probably the happiest ending that we're gonna have in this entire episode yeah speaking of uh so in case you were wondering why you just got a 20 some odd minute intro of us just chatting we usually don't do that we usually keep it at about five minutes um it's because this what is this episode 12 of season two of unsolved mysteries um was a big fat stinker i have to question why they put two lost love segments in the same episode like probably one is too many and (laughs) there are two it's they're like bookend the the episode and then and we'll get into it um but there's a also a final appeal uh Mm. which has so much detail in it uh considering we can do nothing about this poor man's situation i was saying that there appeared to be a new intro sequence for the show oh okay What's, what's different I, I felt okay. I felt like in my heart that it was different, but I wasn't able to like identify what was different. Well, it's just like it's a different collection. Uh, you know, it, it's mostly just a different collection of clips from the show. But I feel like in addition to that, the previous uh, intros would you know mix in images of like families reuniting and stuff. Um, this was just straight out all action, like guys br- bursting into a bank with guns. Wow! Um, a girl being like picked up and carried off by a guy and thrown into a car. Um, a, b- a bunch of matches being lit at once, which which I assume is the prelude to some sort of arson type thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is just like action packed and the complete antithesis of. Yeah, I was going to say it, it kind of would lead the viewer to believe that you were getting uh, an interesting episode of uh, Unsolved Mysteries yeah. to follow. Yeah. It, and... Which we did not <laughs> at all. No, we didn't. Um, so <laughs> uh, what I what I did notice, and so we have this brand new intro and then you know, Stack is doing his narration in the beginning of the episode and he's like in a prison. Yes. And I noticed in the background there was some like really weird stuff going on with like the fake prison guards. <laughs> Wasn't like, there? They were very like I'm... robotic and they were like entering the frame and then just standing on a wall. I mean it, <laughs> it felt it felt like kind of like some really high concept like performance art going on in the background. <laughs> It's avant-garde. It was very avant-garde. Again, leading us to believe this will be a very interesting episode on Solved Mysteries. Um, so, so the first segment, um, as we were teased uh, in the last episode about the hat box baby. Yeah. Um, so here's the story. I'll be, I'll be very brief. On uh, Christmas Eve of 1931 in the chilly Arizona desert, uh, a car broke down and a a couple uh, who was out for a drive with the with their young cousins um you know they're investigating the car and there's a whole reenactment um you know they're wearing old-timey clothes and stuff 
And so yep. uh, the husband says, watch out for scorpions, wife. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I found that to be a ridiculous statement at first. But, you know, I was looking at her shoe. I, I, I figured maybe it all depends on her shoes. Like if she's just got some strappy stuff, maybe that's maybe that's actually pretty good advice. Uh, but I don't feel like being someone who lives in the desert myself, um, when I just put on a normal pair of shoes and I go outside, scorpions are never really at the forefront of my mind. Have you even actually seen a scorpion where you live? No. Yeah, I lived in the desert too. I never saw a scorpion. Yeah, I, I hear about them all the time. I have never seen any. Yeah, I never, fortunately, because I would have clawed my eyes out, I never saw a tarantula either, but I heard about them, like, yeah, you know, in people's my, garages and stuff. Yeah, you know, I hear about that too, and I don't encounter it. Like, no, I I have, fr- I have friends in Civil War reenacting who live, like, ten minutes away from me, <laughs> and they, like, catch um, tarantulas all the time at their place. Are, do they happen to be pure evil? Or are they just like attracting terrible <laughs> spiders to their property? Or well, I don't, I don't know if this is like some sort of Kingdom of the Spiders starring William Shatner scenario, or, or what? I think it's well, it might have something to do with like they're kind of up in the hills, so maybe they're closer to mm-hmm. whatever tarantula life cycle thing happens if you know about tarantulas go ahead and tweet at us or you know just please keep that shit to yourself um (laughs) it would be my opinion uh you know i did run into snakes from time to time not even rattlesnakes just like garden snakes yeah i did did encounter some snakes but they weren't like scary snakes right yeah same here i've had some encounters i mean all the snakes i've run into you know, like like you say, they're they're not rattlesnakes. They're just like these smaller snakes, and they're um, and and let me like uh, the one one time I came across one in the house. Um, oh snap! Yeah, though that I'm not super concerned about that because that was back when my mom was still alive, and in her last year or so, she would kind of just leave the door open all the time if she went out or in which she did all the time mm-hmm. so i'm assuming one just sort of came in through that route mm-hmm. and let me let me tell you like and he went he went when i saw him he like <laughs> he, like i was coming out of her bedroom and he was in the living room right next to my room and as soon as i stepped came into view um, the one thing that kind of had me reassured, like, you know, he's just a small, like, green snake, and he darted into my bedroom, mm-hmm. and, and his, the, the manner in which he did that, it was like the purest body language expression of, oh, shit, that I've <laughs> ever seen in my life. Like, he was clearly a lot more afraid of me than him. Oh, yeah. man, snakes are cool. Well, um, so anyway... So this, so, so this couple, I'm pretty sure she's wearing closed-toed shoes because the story that they're going with is that they've been out for a hike and picnic. Uh, up, this is up in, I think it's near Mesa, Arizona. Yeah. Um. Anyway, good hiking country. Uh. So, so the so the wife does not find a scorpion. She does not find a snake. Instead, she finds a hat box. Now, a hat box 
is a kind of fancy, it's a big box that ladies would keep their hats in when ladies would wear fancy hats. Um, and in that hat box was a baby. As you might have guessed, because I introduced <laughs> this segment <laughs> as Hatbox Baby. Um, so the couple brings the baby to the Mesa Cops. Um, the baby's only seven days old. And, Robbie, wouldn't you say what an incredible bit of good fortune that on a chilly Arizona night that a couple's car happens to break down right by where someone had left a baby in a hat box. Wouldn't you say just the, the sheer luck of this happening? And the baby is, is healthy uh, and and had only but mere moments before appeared to have been left outside. Right, what? right. This baby hadn't suffered any sort of heat stroke or scorpion no. attacks or anything um in fact they they uh they t- they take the um baby to a uh local midwife the old an old biddy who had mm-hmm. who had helped all the babies and you know midwife's likes baby looks great doctor comes in says that's a nice looking baby uh they so they guess it's about to be seven days old um so that was in december the baby's adopted out by february uh there didn't it yes i'm sorry like there's so much reenactment stuff i'm not sure if you want me to like interject in or just talk all about no we can talk about the reenactment i was just getting through the getting through the deets first but 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 please oh okay well get 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 through get through the yeah so 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 the idea is okay so there's a so the baby gets adopted out there was like a whole parade of couples that wanted this baby um the judges, the judge, the judge of uh, babies, awarded the baby to some mystery parents. Um, the adoption case was closed. Um, then, in 1986, the adoptive mother told her then 50-year-old daughter that she had been adopted and gave, and told her about this whole hat box situation. The daughter was shocked, and so we're hearing this story basically from the from the now middle-aged daughter who who was abandoned in hatbox so she's basically the one telling us all the story and then um and now this company called orphan voyage is taking up this woman sharon's cause and they want to open the adoption file yeah so that's the story that's That's the the story story. okay (laughs) that's everything that happened that's everything that happened so what let's break down this reenactment yeah um, I actually, I found several things of interest in the initial depiction of the baby finding, quote unquote. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not an expert on cactuses. There aren't any in my Shit. part. Yeah, I know. Uh, I, 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 what were you, were, were you hoping on, for me to carry the load on that? Yeah, I was, uh, I mean, I was not prepared to speak on cactuses today, so. Yeah, well, you know, well, it's Cacti- just like. Cacti. See, that's Cac- how much of an expert I'm not. I said cactuses. Cac- oh, cacti, you're right. Yes. Well, it's just like I found it interesting because you had all those like the sort of cactuses that are flat, um, you know, shaped, not the like the large, tall, um, tall ones that I, I actually saw on my trip through Arizona a few days ago. Uh, and there's a big cluster of them that the hat box is uh, next to. And... I you know I'm no expert, but it, 
do they grow so close to each other like that? I almost felt like they like went to some sort of garden center mm-hmm. and got a bunch and just put them together because uh, there's like nothing else in the background of cac- cactus related. And then when the the husband is coming over, mm-hmm. like and did was it just me or did that guy seem to be built? Like he was large like, physically. Were you turned on a little? Uh, more like I more like along the lines of I would be intimidated by. Oh, by okay. Him. Um, I I did not notice the largeness of the husband, but okay. Um, there there was some dubious cactus placement, to be yeah. certain. Yeah, and when he came over, and you know, like you know, I was like, "There's a hat box," da, 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 and he's like, uh, he, he seems almost skeptical <laughs> that there would be a hat box and. Why would anyone leave it out here? And he like he's coming along and he says, "Of course, it don't look that weathered." And as he's saying that, you hear this thud. Was that his like foot kicking the hat box? <laughs> I assumed it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I suppose. I mean, let's run down the scenario. You know, you and I are out. We're we're on a trip through the desert. Mm-hmm. And our car breaks down, and and I get out to take a walk, and I find this hat box. Yeah, you know, I think I, the I, likelihood is, yeah, I'd, I would, I would kick it <laughs> <laughs> because I'm just like, listen, you could, we could open this hat box. Anything could be in there. It could be several snakes. Yeah, the hat box could, in fact, be full of scorpions. The hat box could be full of old pornography. We don't know. <laughs> what's in that i i think baby would be like uh the very last thing that i would assume is going to be in a hat box in the middle of the oh, desert oh yeah it's not even going to be in my top ten thousand. yeah i think i think old discarded porno would be probably top three though that's why i mentioned it yeah i, I, I always I, anticipate finding that out in the woods or God, well, yeah old discarded porno <laughs> You're, you're, yeah, I, I know that when I work in every conservation related job I've ever had. Oh, really? I, I've always found old discarded porno. Yeah. Um, like, uh, w- once, like, my coworker and I were out when I was working for Nevada State Parks, and I saw this, like, packet of papers that had been stapled together mm-hmm. after we were doing, like, a, a cleaning of a bathroom. And when I was done, I saw it and I walked over because I thought it was someone's, like, uh, un- uh, college paper, and I picked it up, and it was a printout of all these different sex positions. <laughs> it was it was a horrifying experience, hmm. but yeah. And did you notice that, like, in the Robert Stack narration, he refers to the baby they found as a foundling? Uh, yeah, I did notice that, and I was thinking at the time. That's not a word you hear very often. No. I I mean, if it had been anyone other than Robert Stack, I would have assumed it was a made-up word. But since it was him, I actually went and I looked it up. And yeah, it's, it's actually a ter- term for, like, you know, a child without parents or something. Mm-hmm. Um, Robbie, do you, do you want to make any guess as to exactly why you think this couple was able to find this baby in the hat box in the desert um 
They make some, they make some suggestions on the in the segment itself. The force. The force, <laughs> as in Star Wars. <laughs> you think Sorry. you think the force led them to? Oh, well, it's you know. There's that. <laughs> uh, it's always a possibility. Or, or I guess it could be, you know, another probably slightly more plausible possibility is the scenario they did outline in the show. Um, did you want to talk about that? Because yeah, I'm not, I'm not I mean, I, I was just in the show, they kind of suggest that maybe it was a family member. And, uh, you know, a young girl maybe got pregnant outside of wedlock and um you know in order to save face you know a family member that of the couple that found the baby maybe this was all prearranged so you know she wouldn't be the girl um wouldn't be implicated in anything she wouldn't be shamed essentially and then the baby could find a good home so i mean that was basically what they said in the show that they think actually happened it wasn't it wasn't a total accident. It had all been arranged beforehand. It, it's kind of an interesting commentary on what things were like in the 1930s. Um, that you you would yeah. actually have to put together an elaborate scenario like this. Yeah, well, I mean, not even just the 1930s. We're talking about probably basically up until the advent of hormonal birth control. Right, right, um, yeah, and and then even and then even after, uh, I would say, you know, it's this idea of women having children out of wedlock openly is still very new. <laughs> right, um, right. So, uh, yeah, it it is it does say a lot that they had to like concoct this elaborate scheme to to uh, you know save the save the baby, I guess. Um, yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the segment, though, I don't. There's no. There's no update. We yeah, don't. She, we don't find out who Sharon's yeah, parents are. Yeah. Yeah. She. I. 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 I guess she didn't find out either. Well, I. You know, Sharon would probably be about. Geez, eighty years old. Eighty-seven. Right. Right. I, I would think she would have to be. Yeah. Yeah, no, there are some things that I found interesting, like in the depiction and the reenactment of how the judge was going through the different couples who wanted the baby, mm-hmm. and the, they have it down to the last two, and the judge was saying something like, well, since you already have an adopted child and they don't, I'm going to give it to them. That That seems like a really arbitrary way of going about it, like... It's not, ba- not, it's not based on the relative merits of the couples. It's just like, well, you already have a kid and they don't. So I'm going to engage in some baby communism. I, 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 that, that didn't sit right with me. Um, and then also judicial related is I like how when they depict, um, you know, decades later, when she's trying to, like, get the her records unsealed, mm-hmm. the judge who's... Um, uh, who's, who's deciding that, you know, okay, we'll, we'll get the records unsealed. I'm assuming this is one of those cases where it was like the actual judge in the reenactment, because this guy was not an actor. 
he seemed really nervous about being on screen and was it was not it was not flowing at all um uh but probably for for me the most interesting thing in this segment was all the old newspaper clippings uh i i thought it was you know i mean one aspect is it's kind of interesting if you think about it like this woman like discovers that she was this famous baby Mm-hmm. In a way, how crushing would that be to realize that you pretty much peaked? <laughs> you peaked <laughs> you it, baby. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing she did will do from here on out will ever meet or exceed that. Um, but but one of the newspaper not, not when she was looking through uh, the newspapers, but earlier when the baby gets found and they show a newspaper clipping. Um, like, you know, baby found in desert or something. Did you notice, like, what the article below it was about? I, di- I did not. It was, it was, a, and th- this, this will probably end up becoming a dated reference, but for anyone who's listening to the, this episode at the time it drops, it's talking about, uh, eruptions continuing at Oh, I did notice. I did notice that. Yeah, I did notice that. I thought that was really wild, considering. um, uh, That's currently underway again. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. That was crazy. Um, I hope she got that. Twenty three and Me. I hope she got that Ancestry.com. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Oh shucks, yeah. She. uh, That was one of the things she talked about. She. She. She really like. She's like, I don't even know what you know nationality i am so um hopefully she lived long enough that she could live in an era where she could at least find out like oh i'm five percent finnish interest um well if unless you have more to add i'm 100 percent finished with this uh episode Yeah, let's let's move on to another uh, uh, uninteresting segment. Okay, um, final appeal. Final appeal, and have have we had any final appeals in the second season? I don't feel like we have. No, uh, there we we skipped. It's over. not a very often used segment. No, it's not. Um, we had one in the first season, and then there might have been more in the first season, but we didn't. We moved on. For reasons right. we will never reveal. Never reveal. We'll just tell people it's all part of the plan that we're going to do the second half of season one at the end of the show anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, we just, we wanted to be better at this podcasting thing before we finished season one. Yes. Sure. Yeah. That sure. was the plan. The okay. plan all along. Okay. <laughs> so this is about a man named John Br- Br- Brannon? Yes. Brannon? Yes. Uh, yeah. Um, who unfortunately, he's in jail uh at or prison at the time of this the episode's airing um for allegedly murdering his wife mm-hmm. basic rundown of this is he came home uh one day with his uh child mm-hmm. well and- i think a very key detail one that is featured prominently in the reenactment is they came home from christmas shopping and there's a Christmas tree in their apartment. And I noted to myself, after our last segment taking place on Christmas Eve, and then noticing this, is this the Unsolved Mysteries Christmas episode? The answer oh 
It's yes. It is. Yes, because we'll get into it in the third segment, also Christmas time, and that is why this episode sucks because they tied it all together based on them loosely taking place around Christmas time. Oh my god! <laughs> it's the holiday special from Unsolved Mysteries. This is a horrible. Yeah, it's awful. Oh. But please continue. Yeah. I just wanted to yell about that. No, yeah, no, I'm glad you did. Um, yeah, shit. Uh, well, you know, I guess. Yeah, like unsolved mysteries works best when there's a format. You're gonna have like a couple of crime segments, something supernatural, and then like a family reunion or some shit. Like that's that 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 seems like to me like I always felt that was the standard format to the show, but. Yeah, uh, well, they decided to, for some reason, because every show in the 80s had to have a Christmas episode to make a Christmas episode, even though their show doesn't really lend itself to heartwarming Christmas feelings. <laughs> right, I guess I guess it makes sense that they'd be airing these sort of segments, because you don't, like, you don't, like, uh, you know, have, like, a murder of uh, three happen during Christmas time and put in the Christmas episode. Um, though this is a, a murder. What the fuck, Unsolved Mysteries? Um, anyway, so he come uh, he comes home and finds the sort of thing you never want to find when you come home, which is legs sticking out of a doorway. Uh, it turns out that it was his wife. Um, she had been gunned down. And basically, we have a situation where the police come, they inspect the, the, the scene... And this all revolves around um, this gentleman was an avid gun collector, so they he eventually gets suspicion put on him because he has a weapon that matches the caliber of uh, what was used on her. And there's also a thing thrown out involving uh, he had a gun that had been given to him as a gift and then had been stolen, and in the in the sort of mental um, disorientation you have, if like your loved one is dead, uh, he he didn't even realize that it had been stolen, um, and, and so we get like a situation where um, he eventually becomes the prime suspect. He wanted a nitrate test done which I would determine whether he had fired the gun. But of course, apparently the Chicago PD didn't have the resources to put that together. Um, and he eventually is, has to come to trial and is convicted despite what is, turns out to be a lot of issues revolving particularly about the timeline involved with this. Because he on the day that this murder happens, he left his clinic at 1130. He's a doctor. We didn't mention that. Oh, yeah, he's a doctor. And a civil rights advocate. And an avid gun collector. Also, this took place in 1967. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, in, in Chicago. Uh, <laughs> also, this man is African-American. These are probably all really important details <laughs> For, to this story. I guess, I guess, well, I guess, yeah, I guess I should mention that. Um... He uh, he went to the nursery school to pick up his uh, his child. Then he went to his wife's cousin to have lunch with her. Only she was too busy, 
And then he proceeded home, and that's when he found his wife murdered. And he, Mr. Brannon, had sort of the, his feeling was that the reason why he ended up being charged with this crime was, you know, being the late 60s, this was a time of a lot of high tension. The Chicago PD were under a lot of pressure from the black press, so his sort of sort of conjecture is that the Chicago PD thought this might be an excellent opportunity to sort of um, give him a black eye uh, by by pressing charges uh, against him for this. And he he has actually an interesting interpretation. He doesn't think that they meant to convict him; that they were just gonna like this was just a way to fuck with him. Uh, and they didn't expect a conviction to actually happen, but it did. Um, because the jury was what? Um, white. And what year was it? 1967. Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess I should... Yeah, I guess there is a, a race component to this. Well, there, I think there's a rather large race component to it. It wasn't... I don't think it was just... I think it was as he, uh, as Dr. Brannon admits to I, I think it was a lot to do with he wasn't it's not just that he was black it's that he was a really prof, high profile figure in the civil rights movement in right. chicago and in fact he you know they they go through some stories and they go into such excruciating detail in the segment um yeah i mean would, I, I don't which would make sense if it was like a wanted segment or right or something but it isn't it's a final appeal um so he actually marched with uh, Dr. King and Dr. Martin Luther King. And I look up at Dr. Martin Luther King. I said, Dr. King. He said, oops, I thought you were somebody else. Oh, man, you lying. You ain't never met Martin Luther King. Not the wind out of me. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. No, he did not. In uh, Chicago, but he also had some ties with the Black Panther movement. Um, so he was he was really like a visible figure. Right. And um, so he, he, you know, he, he admits to maybe being, you know, running a little high profile. Um, and that's why the cops wanted to, to fuck with him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and so there, you, you get a lot of details thrown at you at this case, but ba- basically the gist comes down to... Um, the consensus amongst all their guests is that he couldn't possibly have committed this crime because there's just a, a, a tremendous timeline issue going on here. Even to the point where, like, they, they've depicted in the trial that, like, an attorney even points out, like, so did you take into, he asked the detective, did you take into, into account the time it would have taken for him dealing with this kid and da da da? And the detective was like, oh, uh, no. And, like, there, there's this murmur that goes through the courtroom um, that usually happens in a TV show when someone says something <laughs> dramatic for the plot and have, everyone has to sort of mumble. Uh, but, yeah, you know, uh, you know, it's just, like, you know, a lot of details get thrown at you. Uh, but basically, yeah, like, the consensus is that this guy couldn't possibly have committed the murder. He gets convicted anyway. Um he he's able to remain free uh, pending the appeal, 
And in that time, he actually, uh, I guess we should have mentioned that he was having an affair with a nurse. Yeah, that's, well, that's kind of what the the motive (laughs) Motive gave, that why he would kill his wife is because he was having um, this on the, but it's like, it's, as they, as every, everyone fully admits to (laughs) in the segment, even the, the, the nurse, um, you know, she's like, this wasn't like a hot and fast affair. Like they had been, he had had this girlfriend for like six years. Yeah. And the wife knew about Apparently it. Apparently was okay. Uh, like, uh, yeah, maybe not okay with it, but was not throw- kicking up a right. fuss. She wasn't, yeah, she wasn't kicking up a fuss. The girlfriend was like, you know, I understood he loved both of us. I wasn't trying to be more than I was. Fair. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Brandon's like, you know, these bitches knew their place. So there wasn't any, <laughs> wasn't any call to murder anyone. Um, you know, as I, as I, as I was watching this segment though, and in the way that it was told, I was just like, you know, I went from thinking this guy is like a hero of the civil rights movement. This man is a well-respected doctor in his community, and he has been wrongly convicted. And I was, like, feeling this righteousness, this righteous anger. And, like, the more things that get revealed about this guy, I'm like, "Uh, you probably didn't deserve to go to prison, but you weren't the greatest dude either. No, no. Like, no one deserves, you know, if they didn't do the crime, they shouldn't do the time. But I... Was like I'm you're like you're like throughout the segment. The more they reveal, the less sympathy I had for his situation. Pretty much. Yeah, he, um, man, uh, yeah, like, uh, you know, definitely out on the forefront in, in regards to the civil rights movement. Um, not maybe not so much uh, women's movement, um, but uh, but like you say, uh, he, you know, he didn't actually. I mean, being sort of a, a jerk uh, in any sort of capacity is, is does not justify you having to serve time for a crime you didn't commit. No, uh, no, absolutely yeah. not. But I yeah. just, if this was a final appeal, and I'm, and I don't really know what they were appealing to or for from the viewer, if it was just for <laughs> sympathy, they did a bad job. <laughs> Yeah, like, and let's talk about that for a moment, because what exactly is the call to action for a viewer? Yeah, I don't know, because they they open with saying that he's, he, uh, Dr. Brandon is now an elderly man, he's in prison, Um, he has a bad heart, and he needs a heart transplant, unfortunately convicted felons, I don't know if this is still the case, but at the time, in the 80s, convicted felons couldn't be placed on the transplant waiting list. And um, so that's that's just the fact of the matter. But they weren't even appealing. He was out of actual court appeals. So it's not like like there could be some kind of letter writing campaign to a judge to say, please hear this man's appeal. Consider putting him out. on." He was done at that point. Right. Um, so, so the only appeal I can think of is somebody saying, "Please take my heart, <laughs> sir." Can you spec if you no, die? Can- you can't. <laughs> I, okay. I gosh, I don't know. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, you don't, you other can't, than- like, will your organs to people. <laughs> That's not a thing that you can do. You can just be an organ donor, and then they find matches, but it's based on the order of the list. Mm. Um. So, yeah, I, Robbie, I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing here. <laughs> I... Gosh, yeah. I mean, I mean, what would even be the like? What would even be the the? I don't even understand what would be the uh, procedures involved with doing anything. There, there, like, like you say that the the only appeal they could be making is to people's sympathy, and they fuck that up. I. They, um, oh yeah. Oh, I'm not even. We didn't even get through. Okay, so he runs out of appeals for his case Um, and this is presumably in the early 70s at this point he Mm -hmm. has now at this time married his his then girlfriend who's now his wife we hear from her as well Mm -hmm. um so when it's time for dr brandon to go to jail what does he do he he flees the country he flees the country he goes to africa he's in africa for a fucking decade (laughs) 10 years this guy's running from the law and uh, I guess he gets picked up in Ghana and extradited. But so he doesn't e- even actually uh, presumably start serving time until a couple years before this episode aired. Ah, yeah. Gosh, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't even really sat down and thought about that. But you're right. Like he's, yeah, he's had I mean, plenty of time to try to like get a new heart. Well, I'm sure- yeah. I mean, he probably didn't know he needed one back then. But it's also like. Oh, okay. Like, the way that they frame it in the beginning is this guy has been sitting in jail for 20-some-odd years. And then I started doing the math. I'm like, well, if he was appealing for several years, now we're in the early 70s. At that point, he flees to Africa. He's there for 10 years, so he probably gets extradited back in the early 80s. And then and then what? He's So this episode airs in 1989. He's been in jail for five years. Yeah, man. Uh, not... Not, gosh, the, the presentation in this episode is all jacked. It's so jacked. Also, this man is now, like, what, in his 80s? Yeah. Again, yeah. he was probably wrongly convicted. But is this is this the guy who's only been in jail for five years? You know, is this the best transplant final appeal case <laughs> that they could find? And, and, and there maybe. wasn't there wasn't another some other poor soul that had been wrongly convicted and been sitting there for 30 years trying to get a new heart mm-hmm. come on yeah come on with this well well at least the episode did have one of those awesome map uh uh graphics that they they've yes, been using they in season they two did. and they and they used that to sort of illustrate the route that dr brandon would have had to take um, from his office to killing his wa- supposedly killing his wife at his home, then to picking up his son at daycare, then to going to the wife's cousin. Like they they did a nice little graphic. Oh us. yeah, it, it totally blows away the um, the, pros- the, the the prosecution's uh, case because they are, um, you know, they they based their uh, premise off the idea that he killed his wife in between leaving work and picking up his kid, which is like a 10 minute window. And I mean, any of us who've ever tried to run errands knows just like how impossible it is to get anything done in 10 minutes. I can't even get to the grocery store and back from my house, which is a mile away and under 35 minutes, but I live in LA. So that's probably not the greatest no, no. <laughs> the greatest but, uh, example but, of that, but but they did do like 
uh, investigators trying to prove his innocence did do car like tests and stuff and it's just like yeah it, it's it's not feasible at all so the, this poor philandering man <laughs> who was in jail for a couple of years. oh i'm i'm sorry he was in africa for 12 years oh 12 okay you got an extra two man okay Shit. so what so what happens with dr brannon here uh, in our end of the episode still um, image update, we learned that he was granted clemency, clemency for failing ha- health and died one month later. So, so cool like, story, bro. <laughs> yeah. Is, so is that a thing? Like, if you have, like, failing health, can mm-hmm. you, like, leave prison? I guess. Yeah, is, if, you're, like, if you're terminally ill... I think basically what happens is they let you out under custody or you have to wear an ankle bracelet or something. Okay. Yeah, they don't they don't they don't want to pay for all that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't even look at it from that perspective, but <clears throat> well, I guess it's, that would... it's, it's 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 I think part of it's humane, but also I think it's it's uh, you know, to have the prison system um, you know, basically paying for hospice care or whatever it gets very expensive, so Right, right. Yeah. Oh man. So, did you like this segment, Crystal? Um, I I was really into it. I mean, it's a full like I want to say twenty twenty five minutes of the episode. It's the bulk of the episode, and it is incredibly yeah. detailed. Um, I enjoy. I really. I was really feeling it at the beginning. I was like, set, set this prisoner free. Give this man a heart. But then by the end of it, I'm like, this man is in his eighties. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't deserve to be in prison, but I, I'm just, I don't know. Was this the best contestant for final appeal? Is my right. Question. Oh, I'm, oh, not totally. pa- I'm not passing judgment and saying because he cheated on his wife or whatever, he doesn't deserve to live. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying like of all the poor souls <laughs> they could have found in prison to, to make this impassioned plea. I, I don't know if he was the best candidate for that. Robbie, what did you think? Um, yeah, like you, like the segment was probably the most interesting one. Just like when they're when they're going through the details of the case, the timeline, all that. It is actually pretty engaging. It's just like you say, uh, but when you reach the end, you're kind of like, what was that all for? I don't understand. Like this was not like this was not an unsolved mystery. This was just like. A, a this this was like the, some sort of like book report on on this crime that gets presented. Yeah, and I I think probably what was more upsetting is seeing the level of detail and questioning that they go into in the case, which they don't do for actual unsolved murders. <laughs> right. And I've, I anyone who listens to this podcast has heard me rail about you know either the thing that unsolved mysteries didn't bother to tell us, or the thing that law enforcement didn't do. And here we have it laid out in just such detail, and we're not we're not trying to solve the murder. That's not what the segment is about. I think if that's what it had been about, is trying to solve a cold case, presuming he didn't murder his wife, and that would have been much more interesting. Right, exactly. You're you're absolutely right. When when it's like a murder, you know, when they need to solve some sort of thing, that's when we need the details. Yes. Uh, Oh God! Uh, they they really they really blew it. <laughs> yeah. 
should we should we move on to our second lost loves segment? <laughs> our second, our our second, second Christmas lost time loves. lost loves segment. Oh ho, ho 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 ho! <laughs> did you guys? Did you guys? And by that, I mean anyone, including Robbie, that is listening to me talk right now. Did you guys know that there was some kind of old timey radio program that would come on during the holidays, where uh, a man pretending to be Santa would read children's letters to Santa? No, I didn't. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah, well, that's that's who this. That's what the segment is about. Is that guy? Santa. He had a radio program? Did I did I miss that? Yeah. I just you should you gotta stop drinking when you watch these episodes. Well, I, I, you know, okay, I saw him like you know he's making some phone calls and stuff at Santa. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, he's he's he's, he's well, being... it was it was. I'm led to believe from the segment it was either like regionally or nationally broadcast for some number of years Damn. during during the holidays. Um. So can you help us find Santa's baby? <laughs> do you get it do you get the clever pun unsolved mysteries made there yes uh, so it's another so 1937 pittsburgh pennsylvania um a western great depression great depression right in the thick of it west a western union guy uh during the depression gets his wife knocked up and uh and then the baby comes out a little more sooner than they expected it just it was flew out of there and uh, as a man who's telling the story, um, was like, we were so poor, we put the baby in a hat box. Um, <laughs> just, Wouldn't that be great if the two segments actually interconnected? <laughs> but it's, they're not. Um, actually, they put the yeah. baby in a drawer, um, yeah. and they put then they shut the drawer and forgot all about the baby. No, that didn't happen either. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this segment is so boring. You have to keep thinking yeah, of like and, alternative. And, and the button that it ends on is incredibly depressing. So yeah. oh, uh, strap in, everyone. Um, so, you know, I, I will say the way that the man is talking about talking about his wife and the man named Joe. Um, mm-hmm. the, the way that he's talking about his his wife and child is, is very, very loving. And that's very endearing. Um <clears throat> And he describes the baby as a package sent from heaven. Well, um... A package sent from heaven that kills his wife. That kills his wife. Like, I guess what happened when she gave birth, she seemed like she was okay. Um, a couple hours later, she was dead. And it's, uh, who knows uh, what happened. Um, so Joe, you know, he's on his own with this baby, Mm-hmm. And he takes the baby to this woman that I guess had been friends with his wife. I don't, I'm not really sure what the relationship is there. Uh, well, for, close enough that his wife insisted that if anything happened to yeah. her, yeah, uh, that he he give the baby to Alice Miller. I that, think is the woman's name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so Joe takes the baby to Alice. In the reenactment, they are in what I assume is some sort of like. I don't know. East Coast houses are weird, you guys. (laughs) Um, They're in what looks like some kind of like row house situation. And and the living space is so narrow. Uh, Right. The couch is basically in the fireplace. Yeah. I thought that was weird. 
Yeah, it's it's yeah. No, I I mean, well, I I look at it through the prism of the Great Depression, and and plus just like you know in the early 1900s, I imagine there was all sorts of weird people crammed into strange, you know, yeah, spaces. It's just it's just a very claustrophobic situation. Um, so, you know, Joe's got nothing to lose at this point. He volunteers. Uh, you know, we're now entering World War II. He volunteers to to uh, with the army there, and oh, uh, one week before one, Pearl yeah. Harbor. Yeah, one week before Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Joe does not have the best of luck. Uh, yeah, as it turns there, out. Yeah. Um, and then, like, so he was injured during um, training. Uh, uh, not not training to become a member of the military, but like exercises mm-hmm. for the uh, uh, and so he's having to fly back to get some specialty work done on what he had like a head injury or something, right? Yeah, he just got messed up real good. Yeah. Um, so he he comes back from the Pacific Theater in 1943. Um, so if we remember that the story started about six years before in 1937. Uh, mm-hmm. So Joe calls Alice Miller to find out, uh, you know, the baby been adopted out, what's going on. Um, and so Alice is like, the, we don't have the baby anymore. Don't call me or something. I don't know. She's just <laughs> real weird about it. Yeah. Uh, well, well, well I, I think what it was was like Al, Al, Alice Miller had died. And like. Oh, was it just some weird lady? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it was. Like, well, and well, well the thing. I, I actually went back and rewatched it because I actually found a lot of humor out of uh, when the guy's talking on the telephone. Obviously, reception in 1930s telephones is not what they are today. And, like, he's, ha- he's having to scream into the receiver to, for it to be heard. And, um, but, yeah, like, the, like some, some other woman picked up and he was like, oh, it, you know, he says whatever he says. And she's like, Alice died and the baby's been given away. And... Like, yeah, she says it in the same surly way that's like an old woman would react to phone calls uh, that are coming in to her phone because she just got a new phone number and her pre and this phone number previously was a number for like some business. So, (laughs) so, you know, she like after the first like couple hundred, like, you know, Joe's pizza's closed. This is this is my house. Um. <laughs> As you do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this just really sounds like something you have firsthand experience with. Well, I was trying to recall. I was trying to call this like repairman uh, a few like last year, and when I when I dialed up the number and I asked like, "Hey, I'm trying to uh, see if I get an appointment with so and so," and she's like. He went out of business. This isn't his number anymore. <laughs> or, you know, something like that. So, I, you know, I, it is something I kind of have some firsthand experience with. You know, I uh, I recently changed my cell phone number after, like, 12 years. Yeah. Um, the reason being, I was getting, like, all these really... St- I Listen, I don't owe anybody any money, but I was getting all these, like, collection agency calls. Oh. And um, among other... St- weird things and i was like well i'm in la fresh start let's let's get that la number going um so it's now i just get a different set of weird calls 
<laughs> for whoever had the number before me. Um, I get calls from the Chinese consulate. <laughs> well, I mean, like, that's something that kind of is related to you, but obviously not what they're calling about. Yeah, it's it's like a it's a pre-recorded message in Mandarin that I'm getting. <laughs> so it's like a, te- it's a it's basically a telemarketer call or something but it's in chinese um i also recently to further confuse the issue i also recently got a text message that was in korean and um and so i translated it because of course right i want to know who's texting me in korean what's this about and it was somebody looking for kenny a guy named kenny (laughs) So I texted the number back in English because I, I unfortunately don't speak Korean. And I said, um, this, this isn't Kenny, uh, any, any longer. This isn't his number. And I got a text the next day from that same number that said in English, okay, but can you tell me where to find Kenny? (laughs) (laughs) Where's Kenny? I don't know where Kenny is. I don't know. Uh, Crystal, there's some sort of image that's getting made out of this when this episode drops, I promise you. Um, okay, well, I'm not done with the weird stuff that's been happening. So so now I'm like, all right, so Kenny, ha- maybe it was Kenny had this number before me, right? And maybe he's, yeah. a, he's a Korean speaker. But this is complicated by the fact he's getting calls from the Chinese consulate. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe he's maybe he's international. You know what I'm saying? This guy Kenny. Um, yeah. So then, like last week, I get <laughs> this was really, really the icing on the cake. I get a text that says, "Um, this is uh, uh you have been put on the wait list for a table for two at the." <laughs> Carson Buffalo Wild Wings. What the fuck? Uh, the Carson it, Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah, it was just like a like a you know one of these restaurants. I guess Buffalo Wild Wings. You you know you give them your number and they text you when your table's ready. Yeah. Um, here's the thing. My table was never ready. <laughs> no. <laughs> Do you, do you think Kenny is like still sometimes use like giving people that number? Maybe he might be. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like now is this, this isn't Carson City. This is like there's a Carson in there's, Los Angeles. Yeah, like right? south of Los Angeles, there's a town called Carson. Uh, shame you didn't have like the time and availability to like when you got that to like rush down to Carson. Yeah. yeah. And, and and try to like find this Kenny. <laughs> I, I really thought about it, honestly, just heading down there and just waiting until they called for Kenny and being like, you. <laughs> Sounds like the premise of a Seinfeld episode. I, it, yes. So and in trying to change my number, I have now been getting weirder phone calls and text messages than I was before. <laughs> but it's all been very entertaining. None of it's been harassment or anything like that. So, yeah. Uh, what were we talking about? Uh, uh, there's some, um, guy looking for his daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, in 1947, uh, Joe, Joe starts to pretend to be Santa Claus 
for some reason. Do you think? Do you think it's related to his brain injury? Maybe I don't know. Maybe he thinks he really is Santa Claus. Maybe I don't. Well, you know, he was answering to Joe during the segment, so. Well, well, that that's Santa's pseudonym <laughs> when when he's undercover to see who's been naughty or nice. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe or maybe you know Santa was his father's name. I don't know. Yeah. Casually, he goes by Joe. Um, so he starts to pretend to be Santa for kids in his neighborhood. Um, a year later, he gets on the radio uh, answering, pretending to be Santa and then answering uh, letters from kids. Um, you know, Joe just seems just like a really great guy. And he's he's had a string of real bad luck. And um, Hey, Robbie, does he, does he ever find out what happened to his daughter? Yeah, they they meet back. They they meet each other after, like you know, what forty or fifty years. Uh, it's a heartwarming reunion. Well, you know, they do the usual thing. One of them gets out of a car and starts walk. Uh, no, 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 that's not what happened at all. Not, yeah, not only did he never have a chance to meet his daughter, but he he found out that she was actually she died. She predeceased him. By like decades, mm-hmm. uh, and it was as a result of some sort of tragic explosion. Mm-hmm. I believe is the term that yeah. the text use. She yeah, tra- she she died in an explosion at the age of eighteen. So Joe searched for forty five years to find that information. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Merry oh. Christmas. Silent night. Holy night. <laughs> they should have they should have put that other like family messed up thing where they had to sing Silent Night at their the mom's funeral. That would have just made this the trifecta of depressing Christmas. Yeah. I don't think Unsolved Mysteries should do Christmas episodes anymore. No, they're it's they strike me as being like they're more of a Halloween. Yeah, they need to they need to stay in their lane and do Halloween specials. <laughs> yeah, this is it, this is basically you know it, it's kind of like in the Nightmare Before Christmas, like Jack Skellington or whatever he's called. You know, he learns just stay in your lane. God, um, you know. I think probably most of the amusement I got out of this was pretending that the guy like had suffered some serious brain injuries and really thought he was really Santa, Claus. He was Santa Claus. Yeah. Like, like you know, just dispense with the missing child and stuff, and just make this a segment about like some crazy guy who thinks he's Santa Claus goes around like pretending to be Santa Claus and giving people gifts and stuff, but he's actually like a lunatic. <laughs> uh, like like you know uh, not like a scary serial killer just mm-hmm. more like em- emperor norton mm-hmm. or like that episode of the uh simpsons where it was uh michael jackson yeah 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 exactly yeah yeah <laughs> harmless <laughs> lunatics <laughs> will pretend to be famous people for children oh. Yeah, this was a an episode that was an exercise in depression. Hooray! Um, yeah. So should we do the? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I I guess we're at the part where we tell you to 
Um, you know, leave us five stars on iTunes. We I haven't checked Robbie. Have we hit twenty reviews yet? Oh, uh, shit. I haven't, I haven't looked in a really long time. It's it, well, you know, it, it's been like a couple of weeks for me. Um, you know, not since the great cross country shitty small towns tour mm-hmm. that ultimately ended with my return to the, the one of these shitty great shitty small towns of Dayton, Nevada. Um, the greatest well, and the shittiest. <laughs> the greatest and the shittiest at the same time. It, it's like Aslan and um, Chronicles of Narnia, both terrible and great. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, we uh, leave us five star reviews anywhere where it's possible to leave star um, enumerated reviews. Listen, bathroom stalls. Ba- yes. Do it. Do it. Hashtag rumper in a bathroom stall. <laughs> you know, uh, Comcast customer service surveys. Five stars reenacted. Okay? That's what we're looking for here. Yelp reviews for Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah, just hit up that Carson B-dubs five-star review for reenacted. Mm-hmm. Frankly, they should be paying for the the plugs that we just gave them on this podcast. I think I think so. I mean, I'll, I'll, Buffalo- take, I'll, t- I'll be paid in and chicken wings is fine. <laughs> I accept oh, yeah, that yeah, as yeah. a form of payment. I, I will readily accept that. Yeah. Um, so also you can find us on Twitter. We're at reenactedpod. Um, reenactedpod at Gmail. If you feel like dropping us a love letter, we, we do really do love hearing from you. And, and it really makes this all of this worth it. Um, so yeah. We, we love you guys. And Robbie? For every mystery, there is someone somewhere who knows the truth. Perhaps that someone is watching. Perhaps it's you. <laughs> <laughs>